Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. For the last two weeks, you have heard the first two parts of my interview with Dr. Chris Carrera, pro-life Catholic clinician in emergency and family medicine. We have discussed the roots of physician-assisted suicide. She explained some of the modern-day roots, which include the evil of eugenics. This corrupt ideology also undergirds the anti-life mentality of abortion and contraception. All three entities, contraception, abortion, and assisted suicide, are fruits of the same poisonous tree. All are part of the culture of death. All are directed at eliminating inconvenient, unwanted life. You have also heard us discuss how the corrupt ideology of eugenics led to forced sterilization in the United States by way of a a Supreme Court decision from 1927, Buck v. Bell, which ordered the forced sterilization of Carrie Buck, the so-called feeble-minded daughter of a feeble-minded mother and herself the mother of a feeble-minded child. This decision established the legal authority for sterilizing more than 60,000 U.S. citizens in more than 30 states before it finally ended in the 1970s, largely due to the opposition from the Catholic Church. For many, the profession of medicine, fostered by Hippocrates and his followers, has morphed into not the profession of medicine, but the business of medicine, which seeks to save money by not saving people. Eliminating people is even more cost-effective. This is facilitated by the end-of-life documents of advanced directives and MOLST, Medical Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment, which while they do have their place in patient care, are often misused to shorten life and so save money. Such decisions are often cloaked in the notion of autonomy, which rationalizes that we are just respecting the patient's wishes. Today in part three of my conversation with Dr. Chris Carrera, we will further our discussion regarding MOLST and how its use in cyberspace will put even more people at risk. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. O God, help us to value life in all of its stages, 
help our culture understand the self-evident truth that all life is of intrinsic and infinite value. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, part three of my interview with Dr. Chris Carrera. But ultimately, as we were saying, that that there is a, a big push for this because it's a way to save money. And assisted suicide, in many respects, is a way of saving the health system money. And MOLST is kind of a, a vehicle for that. So what do you see as the dangers of the advanced directive? And then what are the uh, dangers of, uh, of MOLST? Because they are two separate things. Right, right. So as I say, the advanced directives are, are not enough. But of course, they, they've come up with a number of methods for having these conversations, mm-hmm. whether it's the four wishes or the conversation project mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's, it's people to have these discussions. But you and I know the medical system is its own little world, right? Mm-hmm. And patients don't really understand right, how right. some of the things they say or do translate into the medical world. In right. fact, there's a great group of studies done by Fred Maracci called Triage. It's a, it's the realistic interpretation of advanced directives. Mm-hmm. And he has shown every group, physicians, EMTs, residents, even nurses, that every one of them screw up when they come to trying to interpret an advanced directive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how do we expect uh, patients to understand? And That's right. And he did a really good study where he went into a hospital system, found out who had DNR, you know, these most form, you know, mm-hmm. do not resuscitate orders on them. And then he compared them with a, a frailty scale and with what the patient thought. And there was a huge amount of discordance. There were a lot of people there who didn't know they had these TNR orders put on them. Mm-hmm. They did not know. And they did not score high on the frailty scale. Mm-hmm. In other words, they were not particularly frail or end of life or terminal, but they had most forms on them. They mm. had do not resuscitate forms put on them. I mean, that's just, and that's what happens with these papers because now they're medical orders. A patient and a doctor has to sign it. Well, I find it uh, disturbing, just the advanced directives themselves are disturbing because you're asking people usually way ahead of time to determine what kind of care they want, what kind of care they don't want, when often they have no idea because they have no idea what kind of an illness they might have in the future. And, right. uh, and most is, uh, is, is worse in some ways because you're checking boxes on a form which says, do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want to be intubated? Do you want dialysis? Do you want a feeding tube? When in most cases, you have no idea what you're going to want, you know, in the moment of need. So um, they're both very uh, dangerous, particularly the most, because, you know, there, there is a use for them when you really are in the moment of need. But uh, if you're not in the moment of need, I like the, what you told me about... Um, the chaplain at uh, St. Vincent Hospital and how he referred to um, most forms. Do you, do you remember what you told me there? <laughs> he, he often has these great expressions. Yeah. He, 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 says, he says, don't give them the bullets to shoot you with. Exactly. Because <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> they will. 
<laughs> right. So, so don't sign those forms unless you're really, you know, in the moment of need, and, and you are literally in the last uh, moments of uh, your illness and the last uh, days or weeks or months of your life. Absolutely. There is a place for most, as you said, but it's very. It, you know, if you're having these conversations properly. Like I recently had a conversation with a family mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I knew the family, but I didn't know the circumstances of the, the, the loved one that they were um, talking about hospice for. You know, very devout Catholic family. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm talking with them and I'm listening to what um, his wife is saying and what she's saying. And that's a good 45 minutes or more. This was the first, this was on the phone before I even went up to sit with the family. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, Give them what you're saying. It really sounds like you're you're ready for some for for this most form because he was really at the end and they really did not want interventions. Like it didn't matter what those interventions might have done on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because that's where he was in his disease state, and it yeah. was a perfectly reasonable, you know, very within the teachings of of the Catholic Church, right, right, right. Um, the problem is the most is pushed up off is you want to have control of your care, sign this most. Mm-hmm. No, that most actually doesn't really give you control of your care. In fact, there's good studies out there that show if you ask people, who do you want making your medical decisions if you can't? If somebody you choose or the doctor or both? Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh, somebody I choose, like your surrogate, your healthcare mm-hmm. proxy. Mm-hmm. That well, most form will, will go do an end run around your surrogate. So you actually are not getting, if your wishes are to have your surrogate decide in the moment what should be done, those most forms are actually taking that control. Yeah, well actually, just, just, to, just to amplify that point, uh, I remember when I was talking to um, Pat Stewart, who was the executive director of Mass Citizens for Life, she talked about how these these documents, these most forms, have led EMTs, you know, first responders, to get on the scene and not give care because they had a a, a do not resuscitate form. Well, do not, mm-hmm. you know, do not resuscitate should mean if the person's in cardiac arrest, don't do CPR. But oftentimes, when they see these most forms, and a person is not uh, in cardiac arrest, they're simply deteriorating. They might be in in heart failure, they might be short of breath. Oftentimes, they'll see these forms and they won't give care. So, you know, we're talking about DNR, not do not treat. But often these most forms are, are interpreted as do not treat. That's exactly what these studies were showing. I'll tell you from my personal experience, taking care of my stepfather, he had renal cancer that went to his lungs, a little bit to his brain. He yeah. also had heart failure. He also had renal failure. At the at the dialysis, they had him sign a most form mm-hmm. at the dialysis. I mean, not unreasonable, but he had already been to the ER once because he went into um, paroxysmal AFib. So suddenly his heart went out of beat. Mm-hmm. And he knew it. Everybody knew it. Became, he became diaphoretic. He became nauseous. He became very uncomfortable. And, of course, the poor cardiologist was like, what do I... They tried using a medicine to break the heart rate so it would go back normal. And the cardiologist was very concerned. Oh, my gosh, he's got brain meds. I don't want to, because the next step is to do what's called a defibrillation, which is with, you know, it's called a cardioversion with electricity to the yeah. chest. And he's like, he's hearing his history, and he's like, 
oh my gosh. <laughs> and he, he wanted to make sure that it, this truly was a new onset. It, it's a whole medical thing. But anyway, the point is, they debated it. He ended up, the medicine ended up working, and his heart went back into rhythm. And instantly, he became better. He felt better. A few weeks later, he needed to go back to the ER because he was not doing well. And he, they called the dialysis center, and they told him he had this mulch form, this do not resuscitate. And I looked right at the ER doctor, and I said, he has a history of paroxysmal AFib. If he goes into AFib and you can't break it with medicine, you will defibrillate. You'll cardiovert him, right? Yeah. And he said, no, that's a resuscitation. Yeah, yeah, no, right. it's not. Right, no, right. No, it's not. Yeah, so it can be very, uh, a very dangerous thing. Um, that's right. So Incidentally, no one, one thing that uh, came to mind is we both said that there there is a place for most, but it has to be done carefully. Also, for our listeners, there is a better most form, or post is another term for physician orders for life-sustaining care. That's on the um, National Catholic Bioethics Center website, ncbcenter.org. And because the current most forms that are out there are very biased toward not treating. And you want a form that's balanced and that will not be misinterpreted like what happened with your uh, relative or, or where it was where there was a bias toward not treating rather than uh, something that's truly um, neutral and, and specified what you will do and what you won't do. So that's... Right. Um, that's important for people to just be clear that the there is one on the National Catholic Bioethics Center site, mm-hmm. which I have. Mm-hmm. You need to purchase it, and it's not intended for people to just download because remember these are post right. These right. are meant to be done in the situation of right. discussion with your healthcare professional. Right. So is- I have it so that when I discuss it with people and they they want that form, we'll go through the form. Yes. But it, it's just it's not meant for sort of the general, and it says that when you look at the page exactly you're right they do make that point you don't just download it and sign the form and you're all set it's just it's just an example of something that you might want to discuss at some point with your health care provider when it's when it's needed but um i wanted to finally we we don't have too much time left but i did want to uh want you to uh, talk about the the latest iteration of the most forms which is the e-most can you talk a little bit about that and why that is fraught with even more danger. Yeah, one of the things I used to always say is at least in Massachusetts, we don't have an electronic registry with the moles. Mm-hmm. Well, now we do. Mm-hmm. Now we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be signed online, so you or your surrogates can, well, surrogate if you, you are unable, um, can sign it in your clinician, so it's physician, nurse practitioners, or physician assistants can sign these forms mm-hmm. because we're the three that are clinically able to have these discussions and, and understand the medical implications of them. Mm-hmm. Um, though, I'll tell you, I, I know for a fact that a lot of times they're sending social workers in yeah. to do it, yeah. and yeah. that's not appropriate because they don't have the medical knowledge in terms that's of right. prognosis that's right. and and. All of that. It's just not yeah. appropriate. But like you said, they do they do have it in there that if you wanna if you wanna sign on to this uh, registry, you you as the physician or physician assistant or nurse practitioner can authorize other people like case managers and nurses to to start the conversation. Like you said, they don't 
many of them don't have the medical background, and so they may not be uh, informed appropriately. And unless there's really diligent oversight by the medical person, some of these uh, conversations can begin uh, inappropriately. And this is what what the biggest problem with most, and probably everywhere else too. You know, one is the fact that patients don't understand what the implications of these forms are, what it means. The first thing a patient will say to me when I'm having an advanced directive discussion is usually, I don't want to be stuck on a machine. Yeah. All right, that's fine. Who does? Right. Um, but what they're saying in the most to, to clinicians who are having this conversation, oh, if somebody says that, you're to translate that immediately into a do not resuscitate, yeah. do not intubate. When I take the time to ask the patient, all right, well, what if it's something, you know, what if you were in the hospital and then suddenly you went into cardiac arrest or, or what if it's something where you might recover, we don't know, you're not in cardiac arrest, right. maybe they want to put it to you, something. Yeah, pneumonia or Most something. Most of them will be like, oh, well, I'd like you to at least do a trial, right? right? There's a, a right. trial of treatment and then you can withdraw the treatment if it doesn't seem to be healthy. Mm-hmm. That gets lost in that translation. Mm-hmm. So that And in EMOS, it's very... That, that whole translation process, if they say this, so you're just asking them there in general, so yeah. how do you feel about being resuscitated? How do you feel about being hooked to a machine? How do you feel about somebody doing CPR on your, and breaking all your ribs? That's yeah. the way they have these conversations, yeah, right? right? right. <laughs> you know, is that how we have surgical, you know, when I'm going right. to have surgery, I'm going to go take a saw, I'm going to cut your sternum open, I'm going to rip it open, yeah. and then I'm going to go yeah. in and, and do your heart or whatever. Yeah, yeah. How would you like someone pounding on your chest and breaking all your ribs? Right. Do you want that? No? Okay. Well, I mean, that's how these conversations are happening, or they're not happening. Like the patient that I got sent home from a rehab, we get called from the nurse saying, she's got a DNR or she's got a most signed, and she didn't know she signed, and she wants to be resuscitated. Once that goes into a registry now, that's a whole nother step to try and get that right. done. And I love the way that uh, I was reading something on the Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, website because they're part of the uh, Mass Coalition for Serious Illness Care. And and I was reading through it, and and the one thing struck me. It said uh, in this document, This electronic registry, a trusted single source of truth. (laughs) Don't you love that? (laughs) A trusted single source of truth. What a great thing to have. But basically, the decision-making on your life is kind of out there in the ether, you know, on the Internet, for anybody to uh, look up and possibly misinterpret what you actually want. So, again, it gets back to the idea of um, uh, not giving people the uh, bullets to kill you. That's right. And in this age of undertreatment in medicine... You're much more likely to get undertreated than overtreated. Yeah, undertreatment. People say the most is for control. What I say, and the way it should be viewed, is the most should be signed if you're in a place like a dialysis unit, like an intensive care unit, right. where something might happen suddenly, right, and your surrogate is not there, right, and that's the that right, and that and that's the take home message because this can get complicated, but. The take-home message is, is you don't sign things like um, most forms unless you're in the moment of need. And like, like you said, if, you, if, something, yeah. if you're in an ICU or you're trending toward that, 
mm-hmm. you're sick enough that you may end up there, that's when you uh, want to consider things like that. Right. So the um, whole idea of you don't want to die at home, you know, well, we need this because you want to make sure you you arrange it so you die at home. Yeah. I mean, dying at home is nice, but yeah. I don't yeah. want to give up some kind of treatment that might extend my life right. a little bit to die right. at home. Right, <laughs> right, right. You have your own website, right, called uh, natureanddignity.com, is that right? That's right, natureanddignity.com, and, you know, I'm, I'm building it little by little, mm-hmm. um, and I, I send out, I try to send out more newsletters and get stuff, get the resources um, on there for your presentation, mm-hmm. the, the presentation that you give on the abandonment of Hippocratic medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a presentation on, on end-of-life discussions, you know, mm-hmm. to, to um, introduce people to a lot of stuff we were talking about in terms of healthcare proxy, advanced right. directives, and right. most. And, uh, and then, of course, the resources about assisted suicide. Right now we're looking to the fall of, um, of this year yes. for a hearing. Um, Massachusetts is the only state that has active legislation right yes, now, so yes. the guns are, are aimed at us. Right, so it's critical. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I just want to remind people, as I've done on previous shows, it now is the time to contact your state senator, your state uh, representative, and tell them that you want your doctor to be uh, a, a healer and not a killer, and it's time to tell them that we don't want physician-assisted suicide in Massachusetts. Thank you very much, Chris, for this is very, uh, very enlightening, especially the, the uh, historical aspect of all this. And uh, before we uh, say goodbye, do, are there any last words of wisdom you may have for us? We need to stay connected to God, mm-hmm. and particularly the, the, the moral law that flows from God. I mean, Veritatis Splendor was written to address some of these, this relativism that had crept into moral theology as well. Right. Never mind the society around us. JP2 exhorted us to teach not just the faith, but the moral and mm-hmm. in the new evangelization. Mm-hmm. We've done well with the faith. We need to be stronger on the morals. Mm-hmm. And assisted suicide is part of that. And so, First Fridays, First Saturdays, praying for reparation, that there can be a renewal in this area, in our culture, um, and in our church. Well, very good. And so, uh, Dr. Chris Carrera, thank you uh, very much for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. It's been wonderful talking with another healthcare clinician that understands these things so well. Thank you very much. This concludes my interview with Dr. Chris Carrera. Until next time, remember... We should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. This is Dr. Mark Rollo, Massachusetts physician, and these are reasons to reject physician-assisted suicide. Reason number three, assisted suicide is a recipe for elder abuse. It is estimated that 10% of elders in Massachusetts are subject to abuse. 
Here are the statements that I often heard from my elderly patients. Doc, I feel like giving up. I'm tired of living. Doc, don't get old. I don't want to be a burden. Depending on the mindset of the physician and the legal environment, these statements can be taken down two very different pathways. One of hope and encouragement, or one of despair and death. The story of Kate Cheney is a case in point. She was one of the first victims of the assisted suicide law, which went into effect in Oregon in 1997. This mildly demented elderly woman with terminal cancer was taken doctor shopping by her daughter who was seeking assisted suicide for her. Two physicians refused, citing Kate's inability to comprehend the situation. Ultimately, a so-called ethicist from Kate's insurance provider declared her competent and shortly thereafter, Kate was dead from a prescribed lethal drug. How many Kate Cheneys are there in Massachusetts who will be abused by potential heirs who can witness the so-called request for suicide pills? Or who will be steered toward suicide by profit-driven insurance companies? The 2021 assisted suicide bill before the Massachusetts legislature is euphemistically called an act relative to end-of-life options. Call your state representative and state senator today at 617-722-2000 or go to malegislature.gov. Tell them we already have end-of-life options. They are called hospice and palliative care. Tell them you want your doctor to continue to be a healer and comforter, not a killer. Please continue to listen for more reasons why assisted suicide is dangerous for individuals and disastrous for society. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rolo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrolo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.